Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're moving along. Before I begin this morning, I want to kind of give you a little bit of background like I did a couple weeks ago as to where we're going here in Scripture. So as you're looking at Romans 5, I'm going to go back, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to go back to chapter 3, where God's Word clearly established the truth that other than Jesus Christ, everyone on earth is guilty of sin. Everyone on earth deserves the righteous wrath of Almighty God. And we all know that. We can all attest to that in our own lives. We're all worthy of the wrath of God. But in order to prove this truth, Paul compiled verses from several places in the Old Testament, places like Psalm 14, Psalm 23, Psalm 53, Isaiah 59. Uh, But in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul summed it up by saying, There is none righteous, no, not no one. And then further on, you go into verses 19 and 20, Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, on some level here, All of us are guilty of sin. We know this. But we thank God that before the end of chapter 3, God's word takes us from our guilt to his amazing grace. And it all centers on the cross of Jesus Christ. It all centers there. God's total forgiveness, his righteousness, and everlasting life are freely available to anyone who will believe in our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So, for example, Romans chapter 3, 21 through 24 says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference... For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So then we fast forward again in chapter 4, and Paul used the Old Testament example of Abraham to establish that salvation that has always been God's grace through faith in the Lord. In other words, the Old Testament saving faith was in the promise of the coming Savior, who would be a descendant of Adam, or I'm sorry, Abraham. We can see this truth in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verses 1 through 3, where Paul began to ask this particular question. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if by Abraham was justified by works... He has something of which to boast, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, 
and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the Old Testament saving faith was in the promise of the coming Messiah. New Testament saving faith is in the fulfillment of God's promise through the cross that our Savior was risen from. Romans 4 again goes on to explain some of the amazing blessings that come through our faith in the Lord. Then we go into chapter 5, which we were going to go into this morning. Now in chapter 5, Paul continued to talk about the blessing of believing in Jesus. Let's begin by reading verses 1 through 5. When the apostle Paul wrote this letter, he longed to go to Rome. Paul wanted to meet and strengthen the Christians who were already there. He also wanted to preach the good news about Jesus everywhere he possibly could, including the capital city of the empire. And we know this because Romans, in chapter, uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul simply explains, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always, in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. Now I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also." For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. About four years later, Paul did make it to Rome. But he got there as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And even though his only crime was telling the truth about Jesus Christ, Paul was in the city to appeal his case to Caesar. The apostle had been in chains most of those four years. So we have this picture in our mind. And he had suffered many other hardships for the cause of Christ, because that's what he was called to do. That's what we're called to do. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If Christianity is easy for you, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Because we are to suffer for Christ. Does that mean that we're constantly in turmoil? No. What it does mean is you have to allow Christ to work in you. And sometimes that's pulling you out of your comfort zone. That's putting you in places you normally wouldn't be. But knowing that God's got your back, you can accomplish those things because he said he will do it with you. You are not alone in that feat. He is with you and he is going to continue to be with you as we continue to serve him in faith. So we can't always rejoice in our health and our looks. I don't have them to begin with, so it's okay. But we can't rejoice in them all the time. 
We can't always rejoice in our finances. We can't always rejoice in our family, our jobs, our grades, or even our hobbies. We can't always rejoice in our houses, our cars, our toys, or even our accomplishments. But when we think about who Jesus is and how blessed we are in him, we can always rejoice in the Lord. We are blessed. Our hands are not in chains today. And looking back over our lives, we can see that God has blessed us in countless other ways. Haven't you ever been told as a child, count your many blessings? We need to count our blessings. They're there. We don't always see them and we don't always recognize them, but God has provided them to us. We need to recognize those things. But if all those things were taken away, understand this, we would still have grace. We would still have heaven. We would still have all the blessings of believing in Jesus Christ. And this morning's scripture shows us some of the greatest blessings of all. Paul says in verse 1, chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Believing in Jesus gives us peace with God. Period. The original word has the ideas of tranquility or harmony, security, um, safety. But we as Christians, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that? Why do we have peace through him? Because God's wrath has been taken away by the cross. God's wrath has been taken away by the cross. We are no longer at war with God. And that's crucial because fighting against God is a war that we could never win. We could never win that war. Now, if you haven't believed in Jesus, if you haven't received him as your Lord and Savior, you may be thinking, wait a minute, I'm not at war with God. But understand this, if you do not know him, you truly are at war with God. Now, if you haven't believed in Jesus, if you haven't received him as, as your Lord and Savior, you're at war. What does that mean? What does it mean to be at war with God? I mean, can you imagine that? That's like throwing a Play-Doh figure into a wood chipper, right? But that's, that's the illustration here. It's saying that we can't win that war. And what's the saying? If you can't win, join them. But that's not the case. God is not asking you to do it. He wants you to do it. He loves you beyond measure so that you do do it. But he's not holding your hand to do it. It's a decision that you and God have to come to in agreement. Romans chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 tells believers that God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, think about that, we were enemies. We were enemies. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Not through anything that we did, 
but what God already did for us. He sent his son to die for us. That was the propitiation right there. We don't have to do a thing. We have to live in faith. God calls us to faith. But we, it's not by our works. God has already taken care of that. We shall be saved by his life and not our own. Without Jesus Christ, we are all at war with God. We are his enemies. And it is never his fault. Understand that. It is never his fault, even though there are many times in my own life where I put the blame on God, where it was, God, why is this happening? This is your doing. You're punishing me for something. That's not the case. It's always our fault because we are the ones who have rebelled. We are the ones who have disobeyed God. But the silver lining to all this is that even though that's true, Jesus came anyways to give us peace. Jesus came anyways to give us peace. And this is the most crucial peace of all. Peace with God. And as Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it pleased the Father that in him, that is in Christ Jesus, all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross to take all of the just punishment for our sins. But he rose again from the dead. And now we can all have that peace that we will ever need in our life. How is that? Simply by receiving Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. And that's why it, it tells us Christians, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then further on in Romans chapter 10 proclaims, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of peace, who bring glad tidings and good things. Jesus came to give eternal peace to all who trust in him as, his Lord and sa as our Lord and Savior. But he also came to not only give us eternal peace, he, gave, he came to give us internal peace. He gave us internal peace. And we also desperately need that peace because in Galatians 5.22, it tells us that a fruit of God's Holy Spirit in our hearts includes love, joy, and peace. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells Christians to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we get peace with God. We get peace with God. But on top of that, God's peace is planted in our hearts, and it begins to grow. 
It begins to grow. And as Jesus told his followers in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Understand that. He's not giving a gift like we would gift somebody else something. Because a lot of times there's conditions that are behind it. I'm giving you this gift on Christmas because I'm just hoping you're going to return the favor. Right? That's not what he's saying here. He is giving you this gift. No condition. He loves us no matter what. Whether we accept it or not. He loves us. So let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. God has given us a commandment here. Even though things get tough. Even though things are worrisome. Even though things don't seem to be going our way. God says, don't let that bother you. Don't let your heart get down because I am with you. I love you. I want to take care of you. I have promised to be there with you. God wants to walk alongside with us. He wants to be the one that cheers you on to your victories. He wants to be the one to help carry you when you're not able to carry yourself. But that's the kind of peace we find when we believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the peace that we can have with God. Marjorie Holmes told about a time when she was struggling with past failures in her life. Then God helped Marjorie through a letter from one of her friends. This friend told about a recent visit with her young granddaughter. They got to see a sky-riding plane riding messages in the sky with smoke. And this little girl loved watching the words being drawn, but she was mystified when the smoky letters started to disappear. That little granddaughter thought about it for a few moments, and then she blurted out, maybe Jesus has an eraser. You know, in a very real sense, he does. He does. And because he is able to erase all of our our failures through his blood and his time on the cross. He does. He has an eraser. He's already erased it for you. And he wants to be with us as we write that new chapter, as we follow in his footsteps, as we want to be like Christ. He wants to be there with us. Without Jesus, there can be no real peace. But we are justified by faith when we believe in his cross and receive the risen Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's a fundamental truth in Christianity, isn't it? Seems very, very simple. And yet we've been fighting that message and fighting that message and fighting that message. You know, when Billy Graham was in full swing of his ministry, did you know that he only preached three sermons? He only preached three sermons. But those three sermons were so profound and yet so simple. It was about coming to know and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's that simple. But So why is it as Christians we find it so hard to live in a world where that is the complete opposite of what we're seeing? 
it's because we're losing our peace with God. We're losing it because we're not doing what we've been called to do. We're not doing what Christ sees best for us. And I'll admit that to that as well. There are times where I want to go do this, or I think we should do that. But God may have another idea and another plan. And when I fully submit to his plan, I know that whatever I do here is going to go awry. Because God specifically has something that he wants to do with me. And he has something specific he wants to do with you as well. So we have to find that peace with God. Believing in Jesus also gives us a pathway to God. He gives us peace, eternal and internal. But he also gives us that pathway to God. That's why the first part of verse 2 tells us that through Christ we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So our faith in Jesus Christ gives us access into God's grace. Our faith in Jesus gives us access into all the good things of God. Access. Now when I hear that word, I think about a, a ramp that gives me access onto the interstate or the highway. That's, that's the visual that I have. And you may have seen the road signs that say limited access. But when we have faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us unlimited access to God. Barclay explained that Jesus ushers us into the very presence of God. And when that door is opened, we don't find God's wrath or condemnation. No, instead we find God's grace, the undeserved, incredible kindness of God. There's also another word picture for access. It was uh, the picture of the safe harbor people desperately seek when they are out on stormy seas. And when we trust in Jesus, we have reached the safe harbor of God's grace. For Christ gives us access in faith into his grace within we stand. And through the cross... Jesus opened the door for us into the presence of God. In fact, Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door. In John chapter 10, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go on in and out and find pasture. Because of Jesus Christ, we have entry into the safe harbor of God's grace. We also have entry into the presence of the King of Kings. Church, we will almost certainly never access the Queen of England. Let's use her for an example. We will never access the Queen of England, unless you're really, really lucky. But for the most part, we know that we do not have access to her, right? Or even the President of the United States. But through Jesus Christ, we have access to God the Father any time, day, or night. How good is that? 
Absolutely. How good is that? But that's what Jesus did for us when he died on that cross. And when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, believing in Jesus gives us that open pathway to God. But in addition to that, it also gives us praise for God. We can find this praise at the end of uh, verse 2, where Paul tells Christians that by faith in Jesus Christ, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This original word for rejoice is found 38 times in the New Testament, but it is only translated rejoice four of those times. Ten times, the same word is translated as boast. But most of the time, it's translated as glory. Glory. With the idea of giving glory or praise to someone. A great example is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, He who glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. This word rejoice in verse 2 is talking about joyfully boasting about God, bragging on him, uh, giving him glory, and praising him for who he is. We rejoice, Paul says. We rejoice. And it's a strong word that shows that we are filled with joy. So we don't say, praise be to God. (laughs) He's wonderful. No, he has joy in his heart. When we say we praise the Lord, we praise the Lord. Be excited about it. Have joy in your heart when you say it. That's what Paul was saying here. He says, I rejoice. Because he was being filled with so much joy that he couldn't hold it in. So we don't need to hold it in. Don't be afraid. We begin to praise the Lord, rejoicing in the sure hope we have in our glorious God. Be excited to be a Christian. I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. People are going to throw obstacles at us, and they love to do it. They love to make us hypocrites. That's, that's the biggest thing. They love to see us contra- contradict our own selves. Let's give them a taste of their own medicine. Let's just be happy about it. Let's bring it on. It's not going to affect me. Look who I have in my corner. But we need to be joyful about this. McNeil Jordan was born in Barbados on Christmas Day in 1902. On his 100th birthday, he could still recite pages of scripture and poetry. He could tell you the name of the ship that brought him to Ellis Island, the street where he got his first job as a garment worker, and the name of the cafeteria where he ate 70 years ago. A month before McNeil's 100th birthday, his family made a CD on everything he wanted to say. His eight children, 23 grandchildren, 33 great-grandchildren, and three great-great-grandchildren all got a copy of that CD. Here's what McNeil's recipe for long life was. I eat well, I sleep well, I walk quite a bit. And every week there's church where I praise my God. McNeil said that is what's most important. Give God praise every day. Give God praise every day. That's all. He says, that's all. He goes, that's my life. That's my life. 
And that's great advice for us as a church. And we know that praising the Lord is important to God because he talks about it in his word at least, I think it's 225 times. Give God praise. Give God praise. We especially ought to praise God for the wonderful, sure hope that we have in his son, Jesus Christ. If you need more, keep reading. And then when you're done, do it again. When you're done praising God, do it again. Because he's worthy of it. By faith in Jesus, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And that's one way believing in Jesus gives us praise for God. But believing also gives us progress from God. I'm talking about the spiritual progress we can see in verses 2 through 4. You can take a look. Here Paul tells us that we can joyfully boast even in our tribulations. And the reason why is because they bring spiritual progress in our lives. Have you ever wondered why a certain event in your life happened the way it did? You may not see it now, because you may be going through one now, but I look back at some of the things that have happened to myself even, and I wonder, why did that happen? It's because God was taking me through this process to progress with him. And he's doing the same with all of you. He wants progress with you. And so that takes a process, right? And part of that process is those things that we go through, the tribulations. And sometimes it's the victories. They shape who we are. But it's not all that we are. And God is warning that, warning us about that. Starting in verse 2, Paul tells us that through our Lord Jesus Christ, we also have access by faith into this grace within we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work patience. Have you ever asked for patience? Scary, isn't it? And then verse 4, and patience, experience, and experience hope. Hope. That's what we have as Christians. We have hope. And it is our job, it is our responsibility that God has called every single person in this room to share that hope with others. It's to let them know that there is something greater than them that loves them so much they gave up, he gave up everything just to be a part of us. That's the kind of thing I can get behind. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we can keep giving God our joyful praise and even through the hard times in life. Even through the hard times in life. In fact, we should praise him more during that time. Because it could be much worse. It could be much worse. Paul talked about us knowing that tribulation uh, produces patience or uh, perseverance. But then we can go from perseverance to experience. The original word for experience includes the idea that going through hard times tends to reveal one's true character. 
both to ourselves and to also those around us. If we see ourselves falling short, then we can call on God for the added strength and wisdom that we need. And if other believers see us reflecting the life of Christ, they will approve and be inspired by our godly character. We can go from patient perseverance to the experience of godly character. In other words, then we can go from this experience to the hope that makes us ready for those challenges that are ahead. And we all face challenges. Philippians 2.13 tells Christians that God himself is working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. God is at work in our lives in many different ways, in many different facets. And it's wonderful when you visit with other Christian people and you find out where they're coming from, what their strengths and abilities are, and how God has made this big machine called Christianity, and we all work together, and all for his purpose. And it's just really cool to see. And through Jesus Christ, when we go through those processes and we go through those changes in our life, it's always a change for the better. Because God's will will always be done. So if you're changing, it's because God has ordained that to be. He wants to see that happen. But also, believing in Jesus gives us spiritual progress from God. But it also gives us an an outpouring of God's love. God loves us. Paul said in verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Don't think of a water hose or a sprinkling rain or even a heavy rain. Think of this as Niagara Falls. That's how God wants to flood our hearts with his love. This God-sized love comes by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. It includes our love for God, our love for our Christian brothers and sisters, our love for our neighbors, and our love for the lost. This God-sized love even includes love for the people that hurt us the most. Did you hear that? It also includes the people that hurt us the most. We are to love them too. We are to love them too. Lee Strobel told about a truly miraculous example that started two days before Christmas in 1982. 18-year-old Ted Morris was killed on that day by a drunk driver. The drunk driver's name was Tommy... I can't pronounce the name. It's Pigage, I think it is. Okay? Ted's parents, Frank and Elizabeth Morris, plunged into a deep pit of anger and despair. In her grief, Elizabeth even fantasized about killing the drunk driver. But eventually, Elizabeth realized that her anger was destroying her life, and she chose to forgive Tommy. The Morrises reached out to Tommy, and it was through their friendship that Tommy became a Christian. By the time their story was reported 15 years later, 
The Morris and Pagage families were going to church together and shared a close friendship. How in the world could that happen? How in the world could that happen? Only because the miraculous love of God flooded their hearts and allowed them through the work of the Holy Spirit to allow that to happen. That's how it happened. God flooded those Christians with the same kind of miraculous agape that he has for us. It's the same kind of love that led Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It's the same kind of love that washes away all of our sin and gives us an everlasting home in heaven. And when we turn to Jesus and we put our trust in him, those things are realized. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth may be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, all of our strength flows out from the love of God. And there was nothing we could do to deserve it, but Jesus loved us when we were without strength. He also loved us when we were ungodly. Again, in verse 6, Paul said, When we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Hallelujah. One of my all-time favorite professors, and I won't mention him, but he was a great teacher, and I learned a lot from him, and we conversed from time to time. And one of the most important truths that he gave me was about living a godless life. And now that, that sounds funny, but about living a godless life and what that looks like. And I used to think that a godless life meant living some kind of horrible, sinful lifestyle. But understand that that's not necessarily true. A godless life is just a life that leaves God out. A godless life is living our lives on a day-to-day -day basis without God, without giving him praise every day, like I just mentioned. That's leaving God out. All of your victories, where do those go belong? They belong to God. So we need to ask ourselves, did I leave God out of my life this week? Did I leave God out of my life two weeks? Has Jesus Christ crossed your mind? Has he been the central focus of your life this week? Have we been living our own lives with no reverence or respect for God? Have we been mainly following our own selfish desires? May God help us to put him first in every area of our lives. And thank God that Christ died for the ungodly. There was nothing we could do to deserve God's love, but Jesus loved us when we were ungodly. He also loved us when we were still sinners. The word of God makes this truth very clear in verses 7 and 8. Here Paul said, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mary Lewis 
explained, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Not once our good deeds outweighed our bad. Understand that. Not when our deeds, good deeds outweighed our bad. Not once he saw that we were basically good people. Christ died for us when we were still sinners. He saw the worst in us, and he loved us anyway. The original word for sinners can also mean devoted to sin, preeminently sinful and especially wicked. But Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And one way or another, all of us are sinners. We know this. Because in Romans 3.23, Paul told us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's laid out there plainly. It's the truth. The word picture there is someone who misses the mark, like an arrow that falls short of their target. And of course, some of us have missed the target a whole lot more than others. Some of us deserve a lower spot in hell, but all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody has ever been able to hit the bullseye. Not one person in this room, but Jesus Christ did. He hit the bullseye. And he loved us when we were enemies of God. He loved us when we were enemies of God. In verse 10, Paul said, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus loved us when we were his enemies. Not when we were neutrals sitting on the fence, but adversaries fighting against God. And because of our sin, we were hostile and rebellious against God. But when we were still enemies, Jesus still loved us so much that he was willing to die on the cross for those sins. A Salvation Army preacher in England once wrote these grateful words about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He said, Born in another man's stable, buried in another man's grave. His first pillow was straw, and his last a crown of thorns. His first place was somebody else's manger. His last was somebody else's cross. And that cross was for you and me. That place was for you and me. But that's where he ended. Have we ever thanked God enough? Can you honestly say to yourself that you've thanked God enough? Have you ever gone out, gotten on your knees and showed your gratefulness for Jesus? There is nothing that costs God so much as this. There used to go to the cross and die. Now we can go to the cross and live. People went to the cross to die, but we can go to the cross and live. It used to be the place of death, but now it's the place of life. And this is the super love that God has for you and me. He loved us when we were without strength, when we were ungodly, when we were still sinners, when we were enemies of God. God loved us because it's undeserved and also because it's unmatched. His love is unmatched in its demonstration. There's another truth in verse 8, but because there we see that God demonstrates his own love toward us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I like the present tense here because... It reminds us that the cross still demonstrates God's love today. Through the cross of Christ, God continues to prove 
through the cross of Christ, he always demonstrates his love for us. And the original word for demonstrate has the idea of putting things together or bringing them together or holding them together. There are many ways to demonstrate love. A smile, a word, a tear, a gift, a hug, a kiss, a card, some help, some flowers. There's many different ways. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord's cross is the ultimate demonstration of love that will ever be seen. God loves us. He deserves to be praised. God's love also has the power to give us reconciliation. We see this miracle in verses 10 and 11 where God's word says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have received the atonement. We have received that reconciliation. But we can only have this oneness with God because Jesus bridged that gap because of our sin. There used to be <laughs> there used to be a silly contest held every year um, on the Pacific Coast in L.A. And the contest involved trying to jump to Catalina Island. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I hadn't heard of it until this week. I was reading about it. But there was a contest where they would jump off a cliff and try to jump to Catalina Island. Some jumpers only got a few feet out. Others got as far as 30 feet out before hitting the water below. But no one ever made it from the cliff to Catalina Island, and no one ever will. That's a given. That's because Catalina is 26 miles offshore. So good luck. No one will ever jump to that island, and no one will ever make it to heaven by their own efforts. Understand that. By our own efforts, we do not make it to heaven. We don't make it. We are, all, we are all hopeless cases without Jesus Christ. But God loves hopeless cases, doesn't he? He loves them. And he's already bridged that gap for all who will receive him as our Lord and Savior. So have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted in the cross of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If the answer is yes, then we need to rejoice and the miracle of God's reconciliation. Rejoice in the miracle of his unmatched love. Jesus was raised again because our sinless Savior never deserved to die in the first place. But he was also raised again for our justification. Thank God for the blessings of believing in Jesus Christ. Peace with God, a pathway to God, praise for God, progress from God, and an outpouring of God's love in our hearts. All of those things 
and more. So this morning we need to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and thank God for the blessings of believing. Amen? Amen. Stand together with me as David will come and lead us in our benediction. Again, pray for the youth as they will be leaving following the service this morning. And we look forward to telling you all about it when we get back. Let's just praise God as we leave into the new week. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. I pray that as we leave here today, that we don't leave here without knowing your Son, Jesus Christ. If there's someone here that wants to be afforded that opportunity, Lord, let us be here to help them, to guide them, and lead them to your glory and your indefinite promise of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for our time here today. Bless us as we go. Keep us safe. And Lord, in all things that we say and do, let it be an honor to you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.